0: Hi, I'm Raphael Honikstan, and you're listening to The Bavarian Podcast Works.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bavarian Podcast Works. For the first time in what's been several weeks, we are actually here for a full show. This can be confirmed by Fabrizio Romano on deadline day on a very, very snowy evening in New England, and today I am joined, we have the Three Musketeers back together. I am joined by Jake Fenner and Chuck Smith. How are you guys doing?
2: Tom, I'm doing great, but the Three Musketeers might be a little strong. I think we're more akin to the Three Stooges and... uh you know, it's it's good to see you guys again and be back talking a little Bayern. It's been a while, and I'm excited to be here. I know I've, I've done a couple of the post-game podcasts, but it's just not the same as seeing you two boys and being able to talk about the Bavarians and how things are going. So I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, the Three Musketeers are valiant warriors, and I cannot think of any words that describe us any less than valiant warriors. Uh this is weird as well i'll say for the first time i think we've ever done this uh i'm gonna be playing basically the role of analyst and as you may have heard off at the top i've handed the reins to tom to this one so if you like tom hosting let us know in the comments we will switch it up from time to time but uh yeah tom how are you feeling about doing this for the first time
1: i am 100 percent in the hot seat but I like the energy. I like the uh, the slight nerves that I'm working off of here. Probably a little bit of combination from the ibuprofen, too, as my lower back is completely shot from shoveling snow for several hours earlier today. The two of you being from New England as well, I know you can uh, have some empathy for me there. But probably going to have to do it all over again tomorrow at the time we're recording, which is a perfect segue. Deadline day has come and gone today. We've seen a lot of movement across Europe. But obviously, we're a Bayern podcast. We are going to focus on two Bayern Munich moves that, Chuck, one of which is very near and dear to a lot of work that you have done for Bavarian Football Works. And, of course, I'm speaking of the loan move of Chris Richards to TSG Hoffenheim as well as Joshua Xerxy going on loan to Parma. So I just want to hear both of your guys' two cents on both of these moves. And, Chuck, we'll start with you and then Jake.
2: Well, Tom, I think this is a – phenomenal move for Chris Richards. I think this is it's a great opportunity. Let's face it at, at Bayern Munich right now. Chris was not you know, he was not being selected and it's not uh, in at least in my opinion because he he performed poorly. This is strictly a depth issue at Bayern Munich. When Richards was given the opportunity, I thought, you know, given the eye test, I thought he did really well and he he performed at right back and also a little bit at center back. And I, one of the things that struck me is he never looked overwhelmed in the moment. And seeing that from a young player, it told me that, that he is ready for this level of play. But at the time, I mean, he let's just be honest, he's not as good as Nicholas Sula right now. He's not as good as Jerome Boateng right now. And that's not an indictment on the kid's talent. I mean, those are two world-class players, in my opinion, despite what many have said about them this year. Uh, you know, Richards needed to go somewhere where he was going to be counted on, where he could be a regular, and where he will get you know consistent playing time. And I think this Hoffenheim move under Sebastian Honus is exactly what he needed. He's going to get his opportunities. Hoffenheim's a little banged up. Honus knows Richards. I couldn't think of a better landing spot for the kid. I'm excited to see what he can do.
0: Here's my issue, right? I think we're looking at both of these loans, and for me at least, there are two entirely different scenarios. Let's start off with Xerxes, right? I think we can all agree that Josh is a good player, right? I think he has a lot of potential for both the Dutch national team and for Bayern, but I think we all kind of know that He's not going to replace Robert Lewandowski anytime soon. One, because he doesn't have the pedigree for it. Two, because he doesn't have the goal scoring ability for it either. He's not going to supplant Thomas Muller at the 10. He's not going to supplant Lewandowski, as I mentioned, at the 9. He doesn't really play the wing that well. So I think this makes perfect sense. I think it also makes sense because I think deep in the hearts of a lot of Bayern players, I think we have this feeling that... When Lewandowski goes, Zarksi is not going to be the guy. He's not going to be the person that replaces Lewandowski and becomes the striker, right? It's going to be Holland or maybe Luka Jovic or Kramaric or somebody, right? It'll be somebody who has more goal-scoring talent and ability, right? This is similar in a way, I think, to what Kwasi Vrit went through at the second team this year and him leaving for Willemsve over in the Dutch Eredivisie, it was a great move for him. And I think this Parmalone is a great move for Xerxes as well. He gets more consistent running time, hopefully, in top flight competition. He's playing in Serie A, so that's fantastic. If anybody follows the Italian Serie A and tells me that I'm an idiot because they're playing in Serie B, please let me know. I have not checked. Uh, the Italian standings in a very long time, so please let me know if I'm wrong. But moving on to Chris, as Chuck has mentioned, uh, at least internally on our Slack channel, uh, there was a lot of pressure on Bayern to get Chris some starting time, a lot of it coming from uh, Chris's play, but a lot of it also from Chris's family, right? And he wasn't exactly happy being consistently played on the bench or playing with the second team as Bayern continually struggled at center back and right back, which were the two positions that he plays. Now, I'm not a fan of letting a young player go in a position of need, and at the time being, I would say right-back and center-back is still a position of need. So I don't know why exactly Hansi thought it was a great idea to loan off one of his best reinforcements. But with that being said, Chris is now going to a Bundesliga team where there will still be competition. He's going to have to fight for spots. But it's at a team that he can more realistically break into. So I guess in that regard, it's a great move for him. But I... I hope that he's able to make the most of it and then come back to Bayern a much better player that we all know that he has the potential to be.
2: Yeah, and and Jake, it's a good point in terms of, you know, going to Hoffenheim and and getting the opportunity there, but you know, he he will have to earn it. He will have to fight his way onto the field and it's a legitimate concern to take a depth piece out of the out of the mix right now for Bayern Munich, but I think They're looking at Chris Richards as a long-term asset here. Uh, He has an enormous amount of natural talent. He has shown the ability to come in and step into high-level games, not be overcome by the pressure, uh, perform, and he's shown that deft passing ability that we heard so much about when he arrived at Bayern Munich. So I think from the, the club's perspective, they're very happy with where he ended up, and I think this is a strategic move in an environment that will only let him get better. And I think, you know, they trust Hoffenheim. Let's be honest. I mean, Serge Gnabry basically reformed his career uh, at Hoffenheim, and I know that was a different regime, but at the same time, the club has the same values and the same developmental strategy. So I think Bayern's very, very comfortable with that landing spot. As for Xerxes, I think. Byron has probably seen enough. I think that, you know, he burst onto the scene late in 2019, had a couple of goals, and he's basically lived off that ever since. I mean, I I don't want to, you know, come here and bash a young player and I won't do it, but he hasn't done much since then. And I think that's really what Byron is looking at. And it's not just a production issue. His movement on the field has been lacking. He hasn't used his body. I mean, the kid's got a six foot three, six foot four frame. He has not used that effectively. And he hasn't played physically. And I think when you combine those things and you look at the current standard at Bayern Munich and Robert Lewandowski, I don't think that when they looked at Xerxe and they projected where he's going to end up, that they're seeing someone that can fill those shoes, Jake, like you said. So when it comes to the next generation striker, I think he's probably not at Bayern Munich right now. And as for Xerxe, I think this is this is actually a pretty good spot for him because Parma is, is not very good right now, and he won't have that pressure to win. He can just go out and really try and cherry pick and score his way to getting some notice and hopefully being able to get picked up. It would be ideal for Bayern Munich if Parma would exercise that purchase option on Xerxes. I think it was reportedly at 15 million euros. So that would be a great deal for Bayern Munich if it goes through. But honestly, I'm going to be a realist here. I don't think that he's going to go there and light the world up so much that Parma feels... The need to exercise that. So we'll probably see him back at Bayern in the summer.
1: Now, those are all very, very good points. And Jake, we can confirm Parma Calcio is in Serie A. They're in 19th place. As I have recalled from writing a piece on Xerxi a little bit earlier in the week, they've scored a league-worst 14 goals. So they're in desperate need of goals. I kind of agree with Chuck. I'm not sure exactly that Xerxy is going to be the de facto answer to or solution I should say to that problem I kind of agree with Chuck I think the timing of Xerxes contributions from last season kind of play more into his legacy at Bayern than perhaps the actual contributions themselves you know he was our hero against Wolfsburg at the very end of the Hinrunde as well as SC Freiburg but you know other than a few goals those goals a goal against Hoffenheim you know really what else are we looking at from contributions at Bayern for Xerxes and uh, because of that, that's the loan move I'm a little bit more worried about. I kind of agree with Chuck. I think it's unlikely that uh, Parma winds up buying him for that 15, mil, 15 million euro mark. Uh, at the very least, though, from Byron's perspective, we could perhaps get a little bit more market value if Xerxes does relatively well in Italy and makes some contributions. At the very least, he comes back with some valuable minutes, valuable experience. We'll perhaps know more about Joshua Xerxes than we knew uh, several months ago or you know than we did now so uh, it, from Byron's perspective it's a win-win and with Richard's move everything that you guys have said pretty much covered it all so I don't want to spend too much time exhausting that conversation but I really personally like the connection with Seb Honus and I think that's going to be something that's very very beneficial to his time uh, in Sinsheim. and I wish him all the best and as sad as I am to see him go I think this is a very very good move for him and will give him some very very valuable experience and I think it must be said Hoffenheim Uh, they've treated David Alaba and Serge Gnabry well in the past, and we've seen polished products of both of those players once they've come back from loan spells there. So without further ado, since we are still on the topic of deadline day, we can kind of take our Bayern hats off, so to speak, for a second because there, as I said earlier, was a lot of movement today at the time of recording deadline day across Europe across the UK obviously this is a transfer window like no other with the coronavirus clubs all across the world affected financially so a lot of loan moves have happened so I just wanted to get an idea from you two if you had perhaps any massive disappointment uh, or massively positively surprising moves that you guys saw anywhere in the transfer market that really caught your eye that you'd like to talk about so uh, I want to hear what you guys have to think so uh, Jake and then Chuck
0: Uh, I don't necessarily have a winner. I don't really think there were many big winners this transfer window. I think I saw something somewhere that said this was the least amount of money spent in a deadline day or I think overall in a January transfer window since uh, 2015. So to me, nothing really jumped out. So I really had to dive and nitpick on a bunch of things, but... Uh, I can't find a winner, but I definitely found a loser and it's Schalke, uh, especially today. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, that I love to uh, pick on Shelka. It's more like that I thrive on picking on Shelka. I just dislike them in general as a club. I dislike them for holding on to certain people in certain positions of power for so long, despite them being terrible human beings. Uh, And I think this entire season is probably the culmination of a lot of terrible decisions on their part, including from said terrible people up at the top. But I especially want to talk about uh, the move and the decision to let Ozan K back. Uh, transfer to Liverpool. We specifically told Tom that he couldn't chip in on this because he's utterly biased and he's a terrible scouser. Uh, period, end of story. Do not ask him to do his accent in front of you. You will never want to listen to Jamie Carragher ever again. But here's the point. Ozan Kback is valued at 20.1 million pounds. Their option to buy at Liverpool currently sits at 18 million pounds plus add-ons. That's probably not a good amount of business, right? And this was the difference, right? Because we had talked about this before we'd started recording the podcast. And Tom had brought up a point that if he was the uh, manager of Liverpool or the person in charge of director of personnel, director of sporting, whatever, and the market value of Ozan K-Back was given to them he would probably say no. To my response I would say Liverpool are so desperate for defenders that if you brought in K back on loan with a 30 million pound add-on which is about what I would say is his market value 30 million pounds if you had him on the open market. Uh I think they would still do it. I still think they would take him in on loan and I still think that if he performed well for this team, right as People have been talking at least on social media and the athletic and all these different publications have been all saying that K back has a potential to become another captain at Liverpool because he's got that leadership quality, right? If you knew that going in, why wouldn't you correctly value him? Right? Because 30 million st- is a sign for Liverpool to sit there and for John Henry and all the other ownership to sit there and think, well, you know what? He was a great enough defender that I still think we're going to bring him on. So we'll give Schalke overvalue for for this kid because we like him at 18 million pounds. You're going to take him regardless because it's an utter steal of a price. It's undervaluing K back, and once again, a terrible financial decision decision was made by Schalke. It's not even their worst loan move decision of this year because if we recall Weston McKennie, who has the same value as Ozan K-back was let on loan to Juventus uh, for about four and a half million euros and the buyback clause for that is uh, 22 and a half right or 25 right so he's valued at 20 million pounds uh, it's a 25 million pound option to buy with a little less than £4 million uh, for the current fee that they have. He's been one of Juventus' most consistent midfielders this year, and I would more accurately value him at about 35 So yet again, it's a terrible foresight on the part of Schalke. Once again, they lose terribly in the market. And if I'm a Schalke fan, I'm punching air right now because you lose somebody like k and what do you gain? Shakhtar Mustafi. A man who was so bad that he bought his own contract out at Arsenal in order to leave. Because he was that bad. He was not cracking starting lineups. He was a terrible defender all around. And now Shalka are left with him and the remains of that terrible backline that they have with Nastasic and Toprak, whoever's healthy at the time right? I'm terrified. If I'm a Shalca fan, I'm terrified. None of these moves today signal confidence that this board wants to keep the club above water and in the top flight. And letting K back go on loan was a terrible, 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 terrible decision by them. And it's definitely not going to do them any favors either in the future or for right now.
2: Well, uh, I guess this is going to be a tough act to follow after Jake just threw, I don't know, a couple (laughs) gallons of gasoline on the dumpster fire in Gelsenkirchen. So uh, I will keep this kind of simple. I went with Fenerbahce in the Turkish Super League and their signing of Mizzou Ozil. And here's why. I watched uh, that league a few weeks ago, and it was terrible. So uh, Ozil can only go there improve the quality of play and you know what get to have some fun I mean listen you can say what you want about Ozil I certainly have criticized his apathetic behavior on the pitch in the past but the guy has been chained to a bench at Arsenal for so long let him go out and play while he still can have some fun. This is obviously one of the clubs that he's dreamed of playing for since he was a kid. He said that publicly, so I think you know this is a kind of a feel-good story in what has not been a feel-good situation for the former German international. Uh, I'm happy that he's out there and back on the pitch, just because I think it's it's kind of sad to see a guy who had a great career just mired on the bench over some philosophical differences he's had not only with his last few managers but also the club in general i know that there were a lot of salary implications and other things that came into play but let's let the guy finish his career and have some fun with it so that's where i went but i I will tell you jake there were two others that i i had kept a close eye on that that you might want at least one you will kind of think is funny uh, the, the Jordan Morris to Swansea City move I thought was, was really kind of cool, and I'm looking forward to see what he can do there. And I, I was happy that Max Meyer was able to get out of uh, Crystal Palace and head back to the Bundesliga. He's now with Cologne, and that should be a, a good match for that kid to get his career From back From one
0: on burning dumpster fire to another for Max Meyer there. Yeah, I'm glad he was back in the Bundesliga. Uh, I'm excited to see what... Um, at jmosmove13, does at Swansea City. Uh, I think he'll be fun to watch. It'll be yet another American in Europe that we get to uh, see their impact, and let's just hope that uh, this American at Swansea City has a much better time than the last American that was at Swansea City and Bob Bradley.
1: Now, Chuck, can we get a verbal agreement over the airwaves that you're not going to branch
2: off and start your own Turkish Superliga blog separate from BFW? There is one thing I can promise that that I will never do that. Uh you would be more likely I think to find me doing a German third division blog for SB Nation than you would me, be to see me doing the Turkish Super I I'll be honest Tom, it was it was kind of crazy. I sat there with my wife. This is what we did for fun that night. So it tells you what kind of social life I've had of late. And we both could not believe the the awful quality of play. It was it was bad.
0: Listen, Van V's bottom needs stories written about them every single day, Chuck. So you should absolutely <laughs> go and do that. Yeah,
2: but I, the real question is, how is the grass in Turkey? Because I got to be honest, I was not impressed from what I saw.
1: Now I am very intrigued with either a 3 Liga blog or a Turkish Grassworks because those <laughs> both sound hilariously awesome especially with that feature on our website where uh, the audio is read. The audio of the article is read. And every single time there's a Grassworks article, I always have to do that because I'm usually in tears laughing listening to that, especially when you take a pot shot at other clubs that pitches, you know, you know their pitches just aren't kept to uh, Bayern Munich standards, so to speak. With that, we are going to take a quick commercial break. And when we get back, we are going to discuss Bayern Munich's quick turnaround after losing consecutive matches to Borussia Mönchengladbach and then Holstein Kiel in the DFB Pokal and we're back So, boys, let's get right into this. So, earlier in the month, there were all of the... Or, I should say, last month, as it's now February, there were all of the signs of a potential crisis, or a mini-crisis, so to speak, at Bayern Munich, when we lost 3-2 to Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga, and then historically crashed out of the DFB-Pokal against Holstein Kiel in penalties... Yes, it was a cold and wet night. No, it was not Stoke City. Yes, we got beat fair and square. Yes, it was a massive disappointment. Yes, I remember Jake's post-match recap episode and how infuriated he was like a lot of us. But since then, four consecutive wins in the Bundesliga. A win over SC Freiburg 2-1, to a 1-0 win over Augsburg, a 4-0 win over the dumpster fire that is Schalke, and most recently a 4-1 win over Hoffenheim. Obviously, we've made a quick turnaround and we've been largely aided by other clubs in the top six, dropping points left and right. So, thank you to all of the other clubs: Borussia, Dortmund, RB Leipzig, Bayer, Leverkusen, and München Gladbach here and there. But. I pose this question to you. Is there something that you attribute this quick turnaround to? You know, Is it perhaps defensive personnel, squad rotations, making the most of our chances, cutting out the defensive errors? I want to hear what you guys have to think. Is there something that you can really hone in on and say, this had a lot to do with the turnaround, and this is a part of the reason why we're seven points clear at the top of the Bundesliga table. So we'll go Jake and then Chuck. Tom, when I did that episode
0: with you that was previewing the Freiburg game, which was the game after Holstein-Keel. Uh, we talked a little bit in the beginning about our reactions. Uh, I clarified a couple of things that I had said in the middle of my rant. Uh, and one of the things that I had said was, I think the biggest problem with this defense is that they are inconsistent both not only in their play, but also in the rotation, in the starting of the squads, that there wasn't any consistency. There was not any way for people to gel. There wasn't any real uniformity in the lineup. And so right after that, I went back and I checked to see whether or not that was true. So in the four games preceding our most recent four, right? So win over Leverkusen, win over Mainz, lost to Mönchengladbach, lost to Kiel. These were what the back line looked like, right? For that Leverkusen game, it was Davies, Hernandez, Boateng, Sula. For the next game, it was Davies, Alaba, Boateng, Pavar. The game after that, it was Davies, Alaba, Sula, Pavar. And then the game after that, the Kiel game, was Davies, Hernandez, Sula, and Bunasar. So just in those four games alone, there was not any consistent lineup, right? You could argue that the most consistent player there was Davies, and that was only because he was consistent in his starts. He was not consistent in his performances, right? I think we can all agree on that. But those two center backs, right? It went from Hernandez and Boateng to Alaba and Boateng to Alaba and Sula to Hernandez and Sula, right? There wasn't any consistency in that. And so Bayern came out of that loss to Kiel, and their next four games, they changed that. They went uh, Freiburg, Augsburg, Schalke, and Hoffenheim with these lineups. Davies, Alaba, Boateng, Pavar. Hernandez, Alaba, Boateng, Pavar. Davies, Alaba, Boateng, Sula. Davies, Alaba, Boateng, Pavar. So not only are the first game that we played after that loss and the most recent game that we played after that loss the same lineups, but Alaba and Boateng have consistently started at center back over these last couple of games, right? Have they been rough? Kind of. In some performances, maybe you could say they were a little bit out there. But they've been consistent. They've consistently performed well together. And what have we seen over the last couple of games? Only two goals conceded. In the meantime, we've gone out there and we've scored 11. So to me, I think that is the massive improvement. And it proves that my theory was right, right? Tactics haven't exactly changed too much. But there was consistency in the lineup on that back line. It's allowed the people time to work things out knowing that they're not going to be replaced knowing that their position is not in jeopardy they work well together they have been consistent together uh more recently in terms of their performances and so to me that is one of if not the most important reasons why byron are a bit back on track more recently
2: yeah, I mean, when I look at the situation, I look at, at two things that really uh, that really stuck out to me, Jake and Tom. Uh, one was, I think, Hansi Flick made a couple of slight adjustments in how he was positioning his back line. They are still a high back line, but they are sitting just a bit deeper than they than they were previously. And I think that's made a world of difference. Just those couple of extra steps that the defenders have to react has really prevented that barrage of counterattacks that we saw. Now, granted, they are still susceptible at times, as, as we see just about every game, where if one of those defenders gets caught ball-watching, and Alphonso Davies did a pretty good job of that on Saturday, uh, you know they, they still can give up those chances, and, and that's exactly what happened against Hoffenheim. Uh, Davies got caught ball-watching a bit, and it opened up that lane just enough for Hoffenheim to break through, get across, and then and Andre Kramaric to finish uh, and get Hoffenheim on the board. So it's not perfect yet, but I think the players have a better handle on how to play that high line, and their positioning has been a lot better. The other factor – Uh, that I think really made a difference is they actually got a chance to rest a little bit Uh, heading after that just awful week where they played three games. uh, You know, Hansi Flick gave his team two days off. And I thought that that was a huge factor in helping his boys get a little bit refreshed. Now, Jake, I think you made a lot of terrific points, but I think that that rest might be the most important thing that, that has happened with Byron because they have had such a brutal schedule over the course of the past, what, calendar year, the past calendar 10 months, that it's incredible that they've held up as, as well as they have. So I know I was happy to see that they got some extra time off, and I think they've really responded. And, and I'll be honest, they looked really, really fresh on Saturday against Hoffenheim.
1: I agree. And, and Jake, going back to your point, because... To me, it seems like most of the problems have come uh, from the defense and lapses in defensive concentration. Chuck, as you had mentioned, being caught out on the high line, I believe it was Holstein-Keel's manager, Ali Werner, who had pretty much come out and said this after they had knocked us out of the day of April call. He was like, yeah, you know, we've studied all the game film. We've watched a lot of the goals that Bayern have conceded recently, and they all sort of stem from being caught out on the high line with Basically, the center backs right up on the halfway line, if not already proceeding into the opponent's half. And that's exactly how they played against us. That's how they scored at least one of their two goals in regular time. And Chuck, as you said, I think that that's something that Hansi Flick and his coaching staff had absolutely drilled uh, into the squad in addition to some of the rest. Because going forward, I think it's clear I believe against Hoffenheim, we set a record for the amount of goals scored after that many match weeks. I don't have the exact numbers uh, off the top of my head, so I think it's clear that our attack is not the problem. And Obviously, we have that, that certain Polish number nine who is on pace to break a very, very massive record at Bayern Munich. Um, but Jake, one of those names that you had mentioned, Alfonso Davies, and I kind of want to pose this uh, slight sub-conversation, if you will, I had recently read, I believe it was in either Build or Kicker, one of those sources where they were essentially talking about Hansi Flick had kind of loosely said that he was, in the beginning of the season, a little bit using Lucas Hernandez as sort of an incentive for Alphonso Davies. This is prior to him injuring his ankle, essentially giving Luca Hernandez a run at left back. As we know, he started... Quite often over Alfonso Davies in the beginning portions of the season, Alfonso Davies hurts his ankle against Eintracht Frankfurt, misses a couple of weeks. But as of late, I think we can all agree that Davies has been back getting closer to his form of last season. Um, So I want to kind of pose this question to the two of you. Do you think there's anything Hernandez has done particularly wrong or
2: is this spot now Davies to lose? I don't think that Hernandez has def- has done anything wrong as much as I just think there are some things about his game that, that Flick is not particularly a fan of. I mean, that's the way I'm reading it. I, I don't think Flick was especially pleased with Davies over the course of this season either. I think that Flick was a little disappointed in how Davies came out to start the season. And I think there was some talk that it sounds crazy to say he wasn't in shape, but maybe he just wasn't in top form. I mean, that was a brutal season for all of the the guys that go through, and and maybe he was a little banged up and maybe not operating at 100%. Uh, you know, with Davies, he's had some positional issues all year. He has some trouble reading the ball in the air. Those things are evident on a, on a game-by-game basis. What he has been – really great at is recovering when he does make a mistake but what he's found out this season is that he can't catch everyone Uh, other players are fast as well so he's you know as a young player he's looking at these pieces of his game and trying to improve them and I think you can see that as for Hernandez it's a it's a very it's a very difficult situation as a fan when you watch I think that if you polled most Bayern fans, that they would say that Hernandez has been a a great player this season, that he's probably been Bayern's best defender. But there's definitely something there with Hansi Flick that he's seeing that he doesn't like. And we know that, that Flick has a very particular and specific idea of what he wants for certain positions. And if Hernandez doesn't fit that mold, I mean, we may never know the real reason that, that Flick has, but if he doesn't fit that mold in Flick's eyes, Flick will not use him regardless of how much Byron paid for him. I think that's become really, really clear that Flick doesn't care who the big name transfers were. He doesn't care who the front office paid a lot of money for. I mean, he routinely sits Leroy Sane, he routinely sits Lucas Hernandez. So I think that, you know, we've seen Flick you know, make these decisions and, you know, he'll do it his way. And I give him a lot of credit for it because there are definitely times when I'm watching where I'm like, why the hell isn't Hernandez in the game or why is Davies out or whatever, or or, why isn't Sané in in this situation? But Flick doesn't care. He's going to do it his way. And you know what? His way won the treble last season. So I, I give him way more leeway than probably most people, but he's earned it in my eyes.
0: I really don't have that much to add other than what Chuck had said. I I personally haven't seen anything wrong with Hernandez, and I really doubt it's the case of Hernandez being, um, you know, a bad player or regressing in any way. But I think it's more the case of Byron have operated over the last couple of years with somebody who is like David Alaba on-the-left-back position, right? And I think Alfonso Davies plays that position. I don't think Hernandez plays that position because, right, if we're being honest, they're just two completely different players. They're two completely different players with two completely different sets of skills. In terms of whether or not Fonzie has been good defensively, I'll just say this again for everybody listening at home. I would like to remind everybody that he is a born-and-bred left-winger or right-winger. It is only within the most recent year that he has been playing left back, and it's all out of necessity, not necessarily that's where he's good at. I'm not saying that he's bad at it either. I'm just saying that he's mostly played throughout his career at left wing or on the wings in an attacking position, right? So that's probably where a lot of it comes into with what Chuck mentioned, right? Trouble tracking down the ball in the air, right? But it helps him a lot when it comes down to catching up things. I imagine that these are things that he's going to pick up over time, but we all just have to consider the fact that despite how good he is, he is still a second year defensive player.
2: Yeah, Jake, he's 20 years old. I mean, that's scary. So, I mean, there are areas in his game that he'll be improving on for the next seven, eight years, but that's the thing. The guy is such a good talent that you almost forget that he's 20 and he played so well last year that you almost forget that he's got all of these areas that he has to improve. So I'm not totally shocked he's struggled a bit. And I think it's it's kind of funny. He's almost, because of how he performed last season, gotten this armor built around him from the Bayern Munich fan base that if you say anything somewhat critical of Davies, it's not just the Canadians who come raining down on you. It's just about everyone. So, I mean, I listen, I'm a big fan. I think he has a phenomenal future ahead of him. But let's be honest, he's got to grow in a lot of of, areas of his game. And now is the time to do it. Let's get it done now. Let's give him the next couple of years to perfect those areas of his game. And by the time he's 23 or 24, I mean, you could be looking at one of the top 10 players in the world. So, you know, let's take this season for what it is. He, he's coming off a terrific, what I would say, rookie season in the Bundesliga last year. And, you know, he's having a little bit of a sophomore slump, but that's okay. This was bound to happen.
1: Yeah, 100%. I should add that when I had read that stuff about Hansi Flick uh, sort of using Hernandez as an incentive, this was very recent. This was last week where I had read that, so it was more so uh, speaking to the recent run of matches more so than the beginning of the season when Hernandez was playing a bit more after the fatigue of last season and obviously when Davies had his uh, ankle injury but as you guys had mentioned not a bad problem at all in fact a very luxurious problem to have when you have a 20 year old keeping a World Cup winner and a World Cup champion on your bench uh, for a run of matches so that's the luxury that we have as Bayern fans as Bayern supporters and that Hansi Flick has and you know chuck going to what you said earlier to be a fly on the wall in one of those boardrooms when Hansi Flick and Hasan Salihamidzic are talking about squad planning because we know that the two have had their differences and i can just picture Oliver Kahn stepping in and playing his mediator's role and basically how would you disagree with Oliver Kahn and you know disagree with anything he said i think that's a little bit of a part of it but nonetheless Jake after we had recorded our Dare ausblick episode for Hoffenheim, we both had kind of come to the grim realization of how crazy and how hectic of a February it's going to be for Bayern. Today is February 1st. This Friday, February 5th, we travel to take on Hertha Berlin in the league. Just after that, we have to leave to travel to Qatar for the FIFA Club World Cup, which we will play at least one match on Monday, February 8th, and then another match if we progress to the final. A week from that Monday, February 8th, we host DSC Armenia Bielefeld in the league on the 15th. Then next week, just five days later, Eintracht Frankfurt. And then to round out the month of February, we have our first leg in Rome against Lazio in the Champions League round of 16. Six matches in a very, very short span of time with a lot of traveling. And now, Jake, going back to our miniature rut, if you will, the two matches we lost and the buildup to that, you spoke a lot about squad rotations and how it didn't work and it proved to have a lot of inconsistencies resulting in drop points and crashing out of the DFB Pokal looking at February's schedule is this something that's going to be unavoidable? Does Hansi Flick have to make a lot of rotations simply for the amount of matches that are going to be played? Mind you several of which in the league are against teams that are not in the top half of the Bundesliga table
0: Well, I think back to the schedule that Bayern had to play in November, right? Bayern had to play an equally tough schedule right around that point. So, of course, as you mentioned, we have a long slate of scheduled games here, right? We have six games scheduled here, so it's going to be tough. Of course it's going to be tough, but let's also consider the fact that there was a point from the middle of October, from October 15th to October 31st, where you played a Pokal match, a game in the league against Bielefeld, two Champions League games against Lok Moscow and Atletico Madrid, and then a game against Frankfurt and a game against Cologne. And that's all within the back half of a month. Right. That's including the international break that was in the month of October as well. So during that time, Bayern had a bit of a tough spell. Right. Sure. Like the results didn't show it. Right. Three nil against Durin, four one against Bielefeld, four nil against Atletico Madrid, five nil against Frankfurt, two one over uh, Locke Moscow and then two one over Cone, But tiredness was absolutely a factor in all of that. Right, And so Bayern now has to deal with the fact that they have to play a large amount of games now. Of course squad rotation is going to be important. Of course squad rotation has to be taken into account and into effect when choosing this team and choosing this lineup. But for my money, I think most of the problems are behind Bayern. I think they got their losses out of the way. I think the loss to Keel, as frustrating as it was for me and for a lot of other fans, probably gave this team a wake-up call. It made them realize what we had realized all along here at the podcast and Bayern fans had realized all along, that the defense was inconsistent and it needed to be changed and they needed to wake up. Back-to-back losses will do that to you, especially for a team of this caliber. So... I think rotation will happen, but I don't think it will affect them nearly as badly as it had in the month of January and the months prior.
2: Absolutely, Jake. I think that you are 100% right that the hard part is now behind them. And the hard part was the reality that, yes, they're going to lose. Yes, they're going to be tired. Yes, they're going to be out of form. There are going to be conflicts on the team. There are going to be conflicts in the boardroom. And I think all of that, after such a, a really just incredible dream run last season, it seemed inconceivable that Bayern would have to deal with any of this because literally everything worked last year. I mean, what went wrong? And Nothing. Nothing went wrong. Have a big injury to Niklas Sula? No big deal. Let's just insert another defender and we'll progress. There was nothing that affected Bayern Munich last year once Hansi Flick took over. This season, everyone was tired. There were several players that were not operating at 100%. Some were banged up. Some were just fatigued. Everything that could have went wrong with this unit has already went wrong. Now, granted, injuries are always a factor, but Bayern has struggled through such a hard part of the schedule. They have struggled against some... Very good teams. They have struggled against some very bad teams. But they got through it all, and they got through it stronger. And that's the important thing. Right now, when you look at this roster, I mean, has Thomas Muller played any better in the last three or four years than he is right now? I mean, the guy has been incredible. Robert Lewandowski is scoring at a record-breaking rate. And then you look outside of the wings, and you've got – three terrific options and that's with Leroy sane in a slump i mean this is insane how much talent they have and if you look at the midfield Yashua kimmick leon Goretzka. i mean it just it doesn't stop i mean this is a relentless attacking offensive side and i think they were built for this i think they were built for this stretch run of the season everything that they got through every roadblock They have now just crashed right through everything, and they are ready. I think this is going to be a great month for them. It's not going to be easy, and it surely won't always look pretty, but I think they're built for it. I think Flick has them ready, and I'm a firm believer that if you have a leader like Flick at the helm during a time like this and you've got players that believe in him and that know that he's going to do what's best for the team, they're going to fight through whatever they're going through on or off the field. And, and I'm excited to see how this month plays out. I know it's a tough schedule, but it, it's, it's got me really excited. And, you know, I'll be honest, guys, the one game that I'm really looking forward to has nothing to do with the Club World Cup or even the champions. Like, I want to see them against Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, I think that that is going to be the marquee matchup, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm not just saying that because Luka Govic is back. I think Frankfurt is, has really turned their season around. And, and that's going to show us – toward the end of this month after Bayern has battled and battled and battled exactly where they're at. Chuck, I absolutely love the confidence.
1: I just hope that the injury gods are not listening to this podcast because they will take advantage of that confidence, and I do not want any more injuries to this squad, especially with uh, COVID going around. And unfortunately, Leon Goretzka and Javi Martinez at the time uh, at this time of recording, both have positive tests and will miss out on the next match at least. Uh, but Chuck, you kind of stole the last question I was going to ask out of it. I was just going to ask jake so now if you have one one match you're looking at in february that stands out as the most important or the one that you are looking forward to the most
0: i have to say this game coming up against herta berlin if we recall the beginning of this season this last year this game against herta that we played was a very very close matchup it was a fun matchup it was entertaining high paced right the back line of herta were pretty consistent at that time at least uh, it took a obvious penalty at the end, uh, and I say obvious penalty because I know there might be one or two Hertha Berlin listeners out there that would be utterly pissed at me saying that, but it was. It was an obvious penalty. Louis got dragged to the ground in the box. Suck out, suck it up, right? Like, that. that's exactly uh, what happened in that game. So with this game, right, Hertha had been on a slump. At the back end of the year, they fired Bruno Labbadia. Uh, now, Paul Dardai is back in charge of the club, right? Mikhail Plats is out as well in terms of uh, sporting director, and that won't necessarily have an effect on this game. But uh, this team looks a lot better. Like, it just in the one game that they really had... Uh, They look like a lot better team. They look like a more consistent team. They look like a team that is set and ready to go ahead and take on anything else that they have coming against it. Sure, it was a 3-1 loss to (laughs) Eintracht Frankfurt, but with Andre Silva as your starting striker, right, there are very few people that are going to be able to beat him, right? I think think it's just going to be fun to see uh whether or not like herta will be able to repeat their performance um from the previous game uh and i think it'll be interesting to see whether or not that squad under dardai will look any different from the one that went out on a losing streak in the month of january yeah
1: Hertha berlin are just all over the place at the moment so it will be curious to see and you know hopefully bayern can get the job done there but i was just going to say i'm most looking forward to that first round uh or i should say excuse me the first leg of that round of 16 matchup against lazio in the champions league and i kind of had to think about this really quick but in my time at bfw i don't know that bayern has ever played an italian opponent in the Champions League. So this is something I'm really, really curious to see. It's kind of a, a clash of two different worlds, so to speak, in Serie A and the Bundesliga. And it's nice little subplot of Shiro uh, Immobile going up against Robert Lewandowski. Of course, it was Immobile who beat out Lewandowski just a season ago for the most goals uh, in all competitions across Europe because he gets so many freaking penalties. That's neither here nor there though, and I'm very, very excited to see that matchup. And it'll it'll be one of a kind. And I don't know about you boys, but If so much football has been played, it just feels like ages since we've seen a Champions League match of football. And uh, I'm very excited to have that back, albeit at the end of this month. But that time will come nonetheless. So without further ado, thank you guys for joining me tonight for this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. We finally got a full episode. I know that schedules have been conflicting. Times have been super, super weird. But I'm glad that we were able to all three of us get together and hash this out. Everyone listening, thank you for your continued support. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever platform you choose to listen to us. Be sure to check out BavarianFootballWorks.com for all of your Bayern Munich and Die Mannschaft news. And without further ado, until next time, which will be a post-match recap of our match against Hertha Berlin, Auf Wiedersehen.